Aloha everybody, I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. This is Waking Infinity News, but today I'm not going to talk about global news or things that you can find anywhere online except for maybe on Tim Pool's Twitter. Now, Tim Pool does these remote shows. I've been lucky enough to be at his main studio in Maryland, remotely in Austin with him and in Nashville, and it was incredible. Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter, was going to be on the show, got sick, so they asked me if I could fill in. I said yes. I went out. It was a Friday night. It was a great show with Brett Cooper from The Daily Wire. And in the show, Tim says, hey, it's Friday night. Let's hang out tonight. Go grab some dinner. And then tomorrow, come out to the Redneck Riviera, which is John Rich's venue. John Rich's save a horse, ride a cowboy. And we never ended up doing that show. We were going to go out, I was going to play on stage, Ian Crossland, Tim was going to play on stage, and we never ended up doing it because somebody sent a death threat to Tim Poole. Tim wasn't going to take it seriously, but his team basically said, like, hey, listen, the optics of it are as if you go on with the show, even though there's a death threat towards you, maybe other people could be harmed. And Tim was like, okay, whatever, let's cancel it. So we ended up all going over to John Rich's house. And in John Rich's house, there's this big old venue. We played on stage. I got to, you know, perform some acoustic tracks with Tim and Ian. I got to do some of my own music. Everything was great. We were on an Instagram Live. I think thousands of people saw that anyway. With that being said, the reason I'm highlighting this is because there is something all around the world, but I'm going to focus it on the West, about how we engage and try to ameliorate some of the wounding and the trauma that we all have. And the biggest ways that we seem to do this in the West, according to Bessel van der Kolk, who was the author of The Body Keeps the Score, he's talking with Ezra Klein on the Ezra Klein podcast, and he says, in the West, the main things we do is alcohol or substances like pills and talk, talk therapy, thinking that talk And the way we verbalize things are actually the ways to get beneath the surface and arrive at those core traumas and and help us actually communicate. What he's saying here is very interesting, and it's something that I've felt for a while, which is talk can be helpful. But in the ways that most people do it, we actually avoid real connection with one another because we can control language so much and we're boxed up here in our intellect and the rest of our body wants to feel and it wants to move the heart and the pelvis or the gut where there's neurology all throughout the spine. And we seem to lock ourselves off here in the head. So Besser van der Kolk, he's talking about some really brilliant stuff about how we use talk as a crutch and it doesn't even get to the real core that other kinds of exercises that I've been talking about and are the basis of the awakening protocols can truly get to. So let's talk about talk. Northern Europe developed two ways of dealing with bad stuff. One of them was to drink. And so taking a pill is a respectable thing in Western culture to do. And normal people ingest stuff to make themselves feel better. Nobody feels bad about it. Other places in the world may say, that's weird. Then the other thing, Western people are very good at talking. We're not very good in singing together, in moving together. And you go to China after a disaster, and people are doing Qigong together. I said, that's interesting, or Tai Chi. And you go to Brazil in Thomas the area, and you see people practice capoeira. You go, 
are they practicing capoeira because it looks good to the tourists or are they doing practicing capoeira because it does something to the way they relate to their bodies and their sense of self-control. And so I, I think to some degree we are trapped in this post-alcoholic paradigm that the only way to change is through taking pills or by talking. But of course, once you raise kids and you hang around with the kindergarten teachers, they don't do a lot of talking. They also do a lot of, of singing together and a lot of moving together and a lot of tossing balls together and a lot of things that help you to get in tune and in rhythm with each other. So I like how he says that throwing balls back and forth to one another or engaging in games or dance or song and movement modalities done in groups seem to actually get to the core of where traumas really lie than talking ever could. And it's not that talking can't, it's the fact that we limit ourselves to talking when singing or even spoken word or poetry or just engaging throwing balls, it synchronizes our internal rhythms with one another which may seem shallow, but it is actually far deeper to the body where we actually hold the score of all the trauma that's happened to us before. What I like about Bessel van der Kolk, what he's talking about is the deeper implications of movement and finding less verbal and more artistic ways of really arriving at where the trauma is so we can dredge it up in a safe environment that feels held and engaged with physically. These kinds of things allow us to not rely so heavily on the intellect and dredge meaning up through a collaborative, collective effort. So it's art, not simply talk. It is co-creation of reality, not a recital of it. Can you talk a bit about the role of imagination in healing and counterfactuals? I was hoping for questions like this. It's great. So the, the way we deal with unpleasant situations is by imagining how we can do things differently. And that's really the glory about the brain. It's like, oh, if you get fires in California, I, but I can imagine what we can do to prevent the forest fires, if, uh, to anticipate how you can make a difference. Trauma destroys that capacity to imagine how things can be different because you get trapped in that traumatic moment. So you cannot imagine anymore that things can be different. So a very big issue in helping people to overcome trauma is to experience the possibility of alternative outcomes. I love to use psychodrama for that. We are involved in theater programs where people actually get to play different roles and see what it feels like in their body. Oh, that's what a body feels like that feels powerful. And so a very important part to my mind of therapy is to help people to embody new realities. Our memories are extremely flexible. What we first found out about trauma is that the problem with trauma is you cannot change the story. The story of who we think and say that we are, it's interesting to hear Bessel van der Kolk talk about how in healthy people your story changes over time. This is very interesting that people who are traumatized actually have a very rigid, unchanging self-narrative over time. 
And this makes perfect sense when you really look at the fact that when you recall a story of your childhood five years ago as opposed to today, if it doesn't change, it means potentially that you are reliving a moment from the past where the, the current context, you're missing it. You're not seeing that there is a new context by which you can engage with people deeper. Now, I'm not saying that we should intentionally change our stories. That's not at all what I'm saying. And if you're convinced by something, by all means, say it out loud. However, it is in those who potentially have trauma but refuse to see it that feel that, no, I'm here to help you. I'm here to tell you about reality. I am right about what I'm saying, aren't I? What I say is true. It's factual. It's concrete. It lives in this unchanging uh, principled universe that this is this and only this. And, and as I speak to it, I don't acknowledge that I feel comfortable with these unchanging platforms when life is really a journey venturing into the unknown always. You will see song, dance, storytelling, and many different kinds of art and collaboration as far back as time will show you. And then all of a sudden around the Greek period, logic reigns supreme. Intellectualism starts to seem like it is the best tool to communicate between family and uh, community in general and, and civilizations and just socially outside of ourselves. A lot of the times we feel that logic and rationale is the supreme tool. When in fact this comes in at a time where war starts taking on something different than just tribes and chiefdoms warring with one another, and yes, there are deaths, but entire civilizations and colonization, and these kinds of things start coming out of this period. Now, I'm not drawing a one-to-one -one correlation saying that the Greeks and those who created this supreme tool of logic and rationale, but having encapsulated it into a science and that we must use this because the superstition and the storytelling is old and it's primitive, we must be more scientific. There is actually a cultural wound that may lie deep, deep beneath the surface that Bessel van der Kolk is talking about here. The stories don't change over time. There is a factual reality about this. The science is in, the data is clear, and it's centralized over here. You, you can't have control of it anymore. And I think this is the apex or the apotheosis of that cultural societal wound that is being spread from the West to every indigenous culture and the colonization and the militarization of the way we socially engage with one another is you can drink, that's fine. You can take pills and dull the symptoms and not address the cause, that's fine. Oh, and you can also talk, right? Because then you can um, go into your logic, you can use your rationale thinking that you're touching upon the deepest layers of your truth when in fact it is a control mechanism and that control mechanism causes for us to feel safe it is really when we ignore those things and try to remain at that nine completion numerologically nine is at the end of the path and a lot of us are like, oh, I want to be done. I want to be through all the hard parts, all the learning curves. So I want to stay at number nine. So we use our verbal brilliance as a mechanism to actually avoid our core wound. 
And so when we make these external statements, seeking the validation from other people, like I am right, what I'm saying has the logic, it's perfect, and I am here to teach you, or I am here to heal you, most everybody can see the body language beneath the surface of somebody who's hurting and in a diversion mechanism. We all do this. I do this. Everybody I know, bar none, exposes this in themselves. The trick and the tricky part of it is when we deny behind our feeling of being so convinced about the words that we say and the way that we can say it, we deny there's something in the way that we present ourselves that is highlighting our core wound. And if you go back and see the last podcast I did with Jason Pickard, he says your core wound is your core power. You must explore your core wound. Deeper layers of truth seem to come out when we synchronize ourselves through nonverbal communication, the communication that existed prior to words. Prior to that advanced, sophisticated technology, the primary technology of simply being in the same space as one another without words. This can be a healing modality if we understand that the movement of the body is where we actually have the ability to unlodge the stuck traumas inside of us. And when we overly rely on talking, sometimes we miss the cues, the very, very evident cues that our healing wants to be expressed in many other ways rather than just coming out of the mouth. One of my favorite ways is singing, jamming on the guitar, dancing, listening to music, playing, games, competition, those kinds of things I feel are actually primary technologies for healing our communities and our families and ourselves. I hope you can take this to heart. Go over to benjosephstewart.com, sign up, become a member, get access to all the exclusive content that I have there. And you'll hear, I'm also going to, to go deeper into Ezra Klein's podcast with Bessel van der Kolk, speaking about a little bit more nuance on how psychedelics may actually be and, and how this actually feeds into the healing modalities that are coming up right now and what it does to the lingual centers of the brain and how it actually softens our confidence in what we believe about who we are, what we do, and what we're supposed to be doing with our very cherished, precious time on earth. Go over there, get that in the exclusive member content at benjosephstewart.com, and I'll check you all later on Waking Infinity News.